Good morning, Grace Chapel. It is so good to see you today. I need a stand for my coffee. I'm good. It's just, it's just coffee. Did you see the coffee out there today? It's, we're starting something brand new that we haven't done for almost two years, and it's just coffee. Um, all the children uh, between preschool and fifth grade, you are dismissed, and you can make your way out. There's some very, very wonderful, kind people at the back door. They're waiting for you to uh, present you with God's Word. I think most of you already left. Okay, good. All right, excellent. By the way, oh, Andy and Lee, this is your last Sunday with us. We're just getting to know them, and they went and bought a farm. Was it Hastings? Michigan? Somewhere in that vicinity? It's a farm. But you guys, are, they're moving on Thursday, and we're just getting to, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that. I'm not kind of, we are. But whenever you come back through this area to see kids or whatever, you stop here, right? Promise? Okay, because we got witnesses. <laughs> All right, cool. We're going to miss you guys. We really are. Uh, the Gospel of John, that's where we are for Oh, a few months at least. Um, I, ho- I hope that we go right up through Easter, and when we get to the end of John, we'll be right at uh, remembering uh, death, crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead. John's gospel, as I introduced last week, and I, and I mentioned it's unique. It's unique when you compare it to the other three gospels, because in the other three gospels, uh, don't you love Matthew, Mark, and Luke? I mean, yeah, you got to love it. And, and I love how Jesus in those three Gospels often taught through parables. You guys like parables? You like the stories? Um, lost coin, lost sheep, wicked servants, wicked masters, good servants, good masters, storms, fruit, thorns, treasure. Got everybody's attention. They're just so fascinating, aren't they, as Jesus tells them, and they draw you in, and you can picture them in your mind, and then like the religious leaders listening to him in that day, you're getting sucked in, and then suddenly you go, oh, I think he's talking about me. (laughs) This isn't good. Well, the gospel of John isn't going to present Jesus' teachings that way. John goes in a completely different direction. John emphasizes who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to say and to do. And John presents the reality of who Jesus is, something so lacking in our world today. Who is this Jesus whose birth we just celebrated at Christmas and most of the world didn't even say his name? Well, I guess they kind of did when they said Christmas, but not really. And John's going to do it through specific signs, these wonders that Jesus performed, not parables. And there's going to be seven in particular that we're going to spend a lot of time on as we go through this study, and they all prove John's purpose for writing the gospel in the first place. These seven signs are so important. And in addition to these wonderful stories that Jesus wove with this sheer brilliance to captivate an audience, they're also God's evidence to the readers and to you and I, who Jesus is. We're going to hear this a lot, that Jesus is God. That's what we're going to hear. The sheer power on display by Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John shatters all of our perceptions, 
all our perceived notions about the gods that we've created in our world today for ourselves, of, of how strong and how in control we are of our lives, how strong and in control of our lives we think we might be. In First John, I mean in John 1.18, uh, we read, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But Jesus, that's the He here, He has made Him known. He's revealed Him. Jesus is God in the flesh. John also is going to emphasize relationships. Jesus with the Father, Jesus with the Spirit, the triune God comes out loud and clear. If you are struggling with the Trinity or wondering whether you even believe in it, boy, John is enlightening. But John goes deeper, and John reveals a stunning truth about you and I and our relationships, you and I with the Father, you and I with the Son, you and I with the Holy Spirit, you and I with each other, that we're actually brothers and sisters. That's why we fight so much. That was a joke. For those of you visiting, I didn't mean that. Well, I kind of. You and I in the world, a world which rejects these signs, these teachings, this faith in Jesus Christ alone, that God so loved this rebellious world, and we are to love it that much also. And we are to give ourselves and share this good news that John presents on every page. I want us to pray before we start, get back into the first 18 verses. I, I, I know I did a bunch of them last week because it's such a big section, even though it's only 18 verses long. We're going to do a few more today. I want to pray first. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and acknowledge you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. It's, it's amazing, Lord, that we... We, we wonder at the plans you have for us that you've purposed for us before the foundation of the earth. Uh, you know where each of us goes this afternoon. That purpose that you've called each of us to as your children who have placed our faith and trust in you through Jesus, you, you know to whom we should share this news of love. We should show and speak this news of love through your Son and our Savior this afternoon. God, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds as we worship you and you alone, and we look at your word as it's revealed through your faithful apostle John. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The opening 18 verses of this first chapter set the stage for the rest of the gospel. I'll probably be referring back to some of these portions in the first 18 verses. Um, and after, by the way, after you, on the back table there, and online it's available also on our website, right on the home page. After you've completed the study guides for this, uh, the first one from last week is still there. Some of you didn't get it, I know, because there's still some there. Um, you complete that study guide, it's, a, it's an intro to the book, and then today's 1 to 18 is back there also. There's two separate ones, both available, and every week we'll be giving you more so that you can get into this for yourself, and you'll see this. We looked at a few of these verses, as I said last week, but John opens with the words, and we spent a lot of time on this, so I won't right now, but John 1.1, 1, 1, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word… Everybody say this together. Was God. Wow. And we saw that in John's very first sentence. He proclaims that Jesus is the eternal, pre-existent Word of creation. Can you fathom that? Can you take that in? Meditate on that for a couple seconds. And the one-of-a-kind Son of the Father, the Son who is Himself God. And John goes on to explain in these 18 verses that this eternal Word has now become incarnate. You see, we can't capture, we, we, we've got all these definitions, but what does it mean to be God in the flesh, to be completely divine and completely human, and we've got all these definitions, and we talk and we talk and we talk, and so theologians decided, well, let's just capture it in one word, <laughs> incarnate. It's all of that and so much more, becoming flesh and divine, walking in human history. In John 1, 1 to 18, John introduces many of the major themes that he's going to develop later in the gospel, such as Jesus' life. Jesus is light. Jesus is truth. Are people in our world today looking for truth? This should be interesting, right? John's going to explain that believers, who he defines as those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, we in this room who have done that, we who believe, we're, we're viewed now as God's children. Isn't that amazing? I'm a child of God. It's not just a Jewish thing anymore. <laughs> and that the world's rejection of Jesus is to be expected in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships. God's grace cries out through these first 18 verses. Man's rebellion screams out in these first 18 verses. And John contrasts Jesus' rejection by the minority with His rejection by a few. Are you one of the few? Is Jesus your Lord? Is He your Savior? Let's ask ourselves a question today before we look at one verse in particular for today. Have things changed in the last 2,000 years with humanity? What would you all say? When you go to Costco, you go to Costco? I go there often. Costco and Lowe's. Same thing happens. But when you go to Costco, when, when you gather with your family at family events, when you sit in a classroom in school, when you work alongside other people at your place of employment, is Jesus accepted or rejected? Is He ignored? Is He marginalized? And I think the typical answer would be yes. Yes, He is. Which political leader pointed to Jesus during the Christmas season? Truthfully, honestly, I, I'm drawing a blank. What literature in the school system explains Jesus' person truthfully? How many things have changed today? Not much. The condition of the human heart 
has remained the same since Adam and Eve decided what you and I still decide, we want to be in charge. And in this panoramic picture taken from these first 18 verses, we get to see the good news that Jesus is God and that He has taken on flesh and He's come to earth as God's redemptive solution to the chaos that we are, to the chaos that we have created because of who we are. And this morning, I just want to focus on John chapter 1, verse 14. Aren't you glad? Don't get too excited about it. Yeah. John 1, 14. But I got like four points. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. You spend a couple sermons there, but I won't. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that's a passage of Scripture. First, John 1.14 makes clear that when John speaks of and the Word, he is speaking of everybody. Jesus, exactly. That Word, which John first mentioned back in John chapter 1, verse 1, a clear reference to the creative act in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of time, the beginning of our universe, John begins his gospel by painting for us this glorious portrait of Jesus Christ, revealing that He's God, describing Him as the expression of God, God's very Word, God's very words are now walking in flesh. And this fact, I believe, is the stumbling block for so many people in our world today. I have friends. I have acquaintances. I really do. I I have friends. And they, some of them, will readily admit that they respect and even love Jesus' teachings. Have you you got friends like that? Like, oh, yeah, Jesus, man, what a teacher. Oh, some of the things he said about love was just wonderful. Yeah. It's a discussion point, at least, for us, so that's a good thing. And some of them even know what some of those teachings are. It It was just surprising. But that He's the only way to God the Father, through faith in His death, burial, and resurrection? No, I just can't see that. They can't buy that. Or they're completely confused that those two things, Jesus' teaching and your trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, are somehow connected. (laughs) And you have to tell them that you you can't have one without the other. They just don't get it. Take Elon Musk. Y'all know Elon? He's got a little bit of money, and he's got these really cool cars. Some of you probably even have one. And I'm not bashing it at all. Plug it in. Take Elon Musk. He recently, just last couple weeks, shared his thoughts on Jesus and religion in an interview. And I just, I quote this because it's classic. It helps us as we go through John. When asked by the interviewers who were believers, would you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? They just flat out asked him. 
Would you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Your, and, they, and they want your personal Lord and Savior. And then somewhat jokingly, the interviewer said, it's a quick prayer. <laughs> Musk sat there. You can watch the video. I'm just, he sat there stunned for a few seconds, and then he responded. Now listen to this. I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. Good. There's some great wisdom in the teachings of Jesus. True? Absolutely. And I agree with those teachings. Well, really? All of them? He continued, things like turn the other cheek are very important, as opposed to an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. Okay. Forgiveness is important, and treating people as you would wish to be treated. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He quoted Jesus word for word right there. But hey, this is what he said. If Jesus is saving people, I mean, I won't stand in his way. Sure, I'll be saved. Why not? That's pretty typical. But it misses the entire point of who Jesus really is. John cuts through all this rhetoric that's in our world today, all the confusion and even all the denial, and John gives us a glimpse of the Trinitarian nature of a holy God. And he teaches us that this same Jesus is one with that Trinitarian nature of who God really is, and that he was crucially involved in the very creation of our universe and its restoration from sin's curse. Second, John 1.14 announces the greatest event in human history. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, powerful Son of God took on humble, vulnerable human nature. And he lived among humanity as one who was both fully God and fully man. At the same time, in one person, before Jesus, who were some of the humans who were sent from God in the Old Testament to bring deliverance to God's people? Yeah, this would be interaction time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, the, he's the big gun. He's the big gun. Right, right. Moses. No, yeah, for all humanity, Noah. Yes, I've got, I've got Noah down. Cool. Elijah. So the prophets. We've looked at the prophets. We've gone through all the major prophets here at Grace Chapel, all the minor prophets, book by book. And what did we just go through? Judges. You're trying to forget it, but I know. We went through judges, and they all were... What's, okay, we'll get to that. The big one was Moses. And for all humanity, you have Noah. But Jesus is different. Thank God he's different. In his mission to bring light and life to this dark and dying world, it was critical that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Do we get that? These other God-provided saviors whose stories we read and we love they were all broken. They were all broken just like you and me. Being human and not divine, 
That was their downfall. That was the missing element in all these other saviors. It was an unknown element, ah, unrealized. It was hidden in God's plan of redemption that he knew before he even created this planet. Paul, in his, his, his letters, calls it a mystery. The incarnation was unfathomable until revealed in Jesus Christ. Third, John 1.14, it speaks of the glory of Jesus. We're going to camp on this word for a minute. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Okay, what is glory? <laughs> it's just bright light, Pete. It's just… What do you call glorious? Here's what the dictionary will tell you. High renown or honor won by notable achievements. It's glory. And they give an example. To fight and die for the glory of one's nation. Magnificence or great beauty. That old ship has been restored to its former glory. Glory brings to mind renown, fame, prestige, man, uh, majesty, distinction, preeminence, acclaim, praise, accolades, reputation, brilliance, wonder. The dictionary even said praise, worship, and thanksgiving offered to a deity is glory. And then they add, they add this, which is somewhat… I, I, okay. A luminous ring or halo, especially as depicted around the head of Jesus Christ or a saint. Well, here's what the Bible says. Are you ready to listen? It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to soak this up. It's Exodus chapter 33, and Moses, that broken Savior, is standing before a holy God. And here's what Moses says in verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face you will not see. And then Moses comes off that mountain one day and talks to the people in Deuteronomy 5, about how he's just been given the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone and about his permission, his permission to speak with God. And he describes it this way. He says, these words the Lord spoke, he says, Deuteronomy 5, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, and a loud voice, and he added no more. These were the laws he handed down. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and he gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of that darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, <laughs> you came near to me, all the heads of the tribes and your elders, and you said, 
This is what you guys said when you saw this glimpse of the glory of God. Behold, the Lord God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man, you, Moses, still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? (laughs) They were scared. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of of our Lord anymore, we will die. God, quit talking. We're going to die. That's how big he is. And he said to Moses, go and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and you come and speak to us, because we, we, can't, we can't endure his voice. You go and, and to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear, and we will do it. You see, when you get a glimpse of the real glory of God, you can't handle it. All these people today who talk about seeing the glory of God, God showed up to them in a vision or a prophecy or whatever, and they, and they act like it was like nothing. It's like, oh, that was cool. It was really neat. I don't think so. You can't handle it. And when you hear what he says, you do it. These passages teach us about what real glory is, God's glory, and about what John is communicating with his words, we have seen his glory in Jesus Christ. Whoa! Fourth, John 1.14 describes Jesus' glory as being full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is absolutely gracious, and Jesus absolutely fulfills the law of truth. Sometimes we people, we abandon the truth and we pursue sin. Can I get a witness? Okay, few honest people, <laughs> the rest of you are lying, in church. It actually happens a lot. And I know for some of you, it probably happened this morning. There's still time to repent. You see it in how we judge each other, right? You see it in how we treat each other. And people attempt to justify their sin. And I've heard this in Christian settings. They, they justify their sin and they actually call it grace. Have you heard that? Have you used that? Meaning that they have some kind of misguided view of what freedom in Jesus Christ really is, that it somehow allows them to do as they please now. I'm free in Christ. I can do, I'm not under the law anymore. Somehow, grace equals freedom to commit sin. Sin results whenever truth is abandoned and ignored. We all know that, right? We could all march up here and we could give a living example of it from our own lives. I ignored the truth and this is what I did. This is what I thought. This is where I ended up. 
Another type of sin is legalism. And it can also result when grace is ignored. Sometimes we people, we abandon grace and we turn to legalism. We attempt to call it truth, meaning we have some misguided view of the law and its role in our lives. Legalism is this overconfidence in one's personal righteousness. And it has a very strong tendency to condemn sin in others while ignoring the sin in your own life. Both sin and legalism are perversions of grace and truth. And Jesus is the embodiment of both grace and truth in perfect balance and in perfect harmony. There can be no other. He's it. Grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, yet I stand here before you and I trust it. I accept it. I honestly don't get it. Grace is unmerited favor. It's full-blown in the truth of the free gift of salvation. Salvation that God gives to believers through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is perfectly 100% grace, and Jesus is perfectly 100% truth all at the same time. When He responds to another person, when He sees another person for the first time, it's perfect. <laughs> Don't you want to be there? As I commented last week, He's just that good. That's why we call him master. You'll be working through these verses in more detail if you grab the study and some serious meditation. But for now, I just want to finish with the next verses, John 1, 14 to 17. 16 to 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The opening of John's gospel, gospel announces this good news. And did you notice, if you've read the first 18 verses, which you were supposed to do, I know, but did you notice that these first 18 verses did not contain a single command to obey? Does that stand out to you? But they were simply news to believe, to trust in, that God in the flesh rescues sinners trapped in sinful flesh, that Jesus has come so that we, the undeserving, might receive grace upon grace. Verse 17, and for the law was given through Moses, but this grace and truth, it came through Jesus Christ. And John's not drawing a contrast between um, the law and grace, between Moses and Jesus in the sense that the Mosaic law was bad and Jesus is good. That's not what he's doing here. John is stating that both the giving of the law and the re re arrival of Jesus mark decisive events in human history. Through the law, God revealed His righteous character. God revealed His righteous requirements for our holiness. Through the law, we not only see our sin, but we see our helplessness, our complete and utter helplessness to do anything about it. We're, as Jesus says in His parables, lost sheep. <laughs> Through Jesus, God displays His grace-soaked grace mission. And he met the demands of the law for a dead, dark world, a world that had broken his law. 
Jesus accomplished what Moses did not and could not ever accomplish. With the arrival of Jesus, there's an answer to the darkness that's in our world today. And we're supposed to be those lights. John 1.9 said that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I want people to clearly see the darkness and understand why it is so dark. Don't you? And then to so clearly see the light that pierces that darkness. I pray for people to respond by trusting God's light, the only light. I want this for everyone generally, but there are people in my life, especially family who I love, and I'm just so burdened over because they don't see that. They don't see either of those things. And I'm perfectly aware that in Jesus' day, some people received Him and followed Him, but that others, most, rejected Him. Few people really understood who He was. And in the same way, for the very same reason, many of those people I know and that you know don't follow Jesus today for the same reasons. Verse 12 says that those who believed in His name are also those who did receive Him. There's a parallel. To receive Jesus is to believe in His name, who He is, God. This is not simply intellectual understanding. It involves your heart. To believe Jesus is to trust what God has sacrificed for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. So my prayers for people I love have over the years evolved into reciting Scriptures like this back to God, to the God of the Scriptures, that His will be done according to the promises He has already made, and that I would just be found faithful in what I say, in how I live, and in how I present and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. We're going to raise our voices as one to the only one deserving to hear us sing like this, really, our holy, awesome God who died for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We worship You from our hearts up through our mouths with these songs, the instruments on the platform, the offerings we give, the love we share and show to others in this room, and later this afternoon, Lord, to only You know. And we do it by Your grace and through Your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.